But why don't we bring in a guy who was calling the game last night and a guy who uh, knows these players and a lot of these prospects in the Canadian system pretty well. It's our good pal, Craig J. Button, TSN Director of Scouting. How's it going, Craig? It's going good. What cruise ship are you phoning me from today, A.V.? Oh, I wish. I really do wish I was phoning you from a cruise ship, but it's the 9 Channel 9 boat uh, right now <laughs> in, in in Scarborough. So not uh, not the, the, the best cruise ship, I guess you could say. Uh, happy belated birthday, by the way. Getting to celebrate your, your birthday a couple of days ago. Did you get up to anything? Yeah, I got up to 60. <laughs> I suppose. Did, see, did you go on a hike? Was that a, a photo of you taking a hike that day? Who's the no, off day? If no, I'm not that, mistaken. Was a, that was a that was a previous hike, uh, a Mount uh, Assiniboine, uh, out in uh, out in BC, and uh, I think the elevation out there at that point, I think it was something like uh, I want to, I forget what it was. I have it in my phone, but it was just a, it was just a, it was just a feeling of, of me being on top of the world. So well, I thought the picture captured it. Well, speaking of being on top of the world, uh, the crowd last night in Halifax were pretty felt like they were on top of the world, the way that they were cheering on Canada in that big comeback win last night. I mean, does the broadcast do it justice for just how amazing these crowds have been out in Halifax? What I would say is this, is that there's nothing better than being in the building. But the broadcast does a, a, a fantastic job of... I'm trying to give you uh, the, the best feel for what is going on in the building. I, 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 I think that uh, the number of cameras, and, it's, and you can have many, many cameras in, in a building, but the, the talent, the people that are working with those cameras and putting it all together in every single regard, well, you're talking about the best in the business, A.B. And so they bring you in right to the right to the moments as best as you can i mean when, when you're in the building you can feel it and you can kind of feel the the stand shaking under your feet you, you can never recapture that on a broadcast or feel that but what uh what the group at tsn does uh, exceptionally well brilliantly in my in my mind is that they they give you that feel like okay i can't be there but it's the second best thing, and I, I, I think that that is tremendous. And, and whether that be capturing the, uh, the the fan faces and the fan excitement, the player excitement, the player disappointment, I mean, you, you get a real up close sense uh, of, uh, of of all the fields that are going on during a game, and certainly when it's a, a big game, whether it be the quarterfinal versus Slovakia, whether it be the semifinal versus the U.S., and certainly tonight. In a gold medal match against Czechia, it'll be exactly the same. Craig, I do want to obviously ask you about the gold medal match, but the, the last two World Juniors that I went to, 2017 in Toronto and 2016, either 15 or 16 in Helsinki, um, both were good, but I don't think both had the kind of crowds that we've seen in Halifax. I'm curious, from your perspective as someone that goes to every tournament, why does this tournament work so well in a city like Halifax? You know, like a, a couple of years ago, Josh, it was in uh, Vancouver and Victoria. And Canada wasn't in Victoria, and the building was sold out. It was fantastic. My, my simple answer on that is is that hockey connects communities across the country. And, you know, it's, it's something that, that courses through our veins as, as hockey fans. And I, I think when we get into... Uh, markets like Halifax, like Moncton, you know, it, 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 it connects them to a greater way with something bigger than they are as, as a populace, as a city. 
you know, Halifax isn't a big city. It's the biggest city in, in the Atlantic provinces. But, but, but it's not Montreal. It's not Toronto. It's not Vancouver or Calgary or Edmonton, Winnipeg. It just isn't. And I, I, I think it just gives everybody that sense of belonging and, and, and the sense of that we matter. And so they get out. They, 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 it's not often that they get a, a World Junior event. It's 20 years ago that the last World Junior was in Halifax. So I think that they love hockey and they support hockey. They support their junior teams and, and they have a great passion for the for hockey, just, just like all the corners of Canada have that. So I think that when they do get it, 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 it is. It, it's a sense of pride. Hey, and we're going to show everybody. We're going to show everybody how much we care and how much we love uh, the, the sport and, and supporting Team Canada. And I, I think that that is a, a big rationale for it. I mean, uh, when you were in Helsinki in 2016, the gold medal game was sold out. I mean, that was an unbelievable match. But I think what separates... You know, and, and I'm talking even the big markets in Canada to markets like Moncton and Halifax, Victoria, is the games are, are, are like the, the attendance is, is high, high numbers all the way through. I, I was at a game one time in that Helsinki uh, uh, tournament. There, there was 100 people in the building. I was at a game in Buffalo where there was 100 people. I was at a game in Montreal during the uh, 2017. There was 2,000 people in the building. So... Uh, we don't get that in, in, in these communities, and uh, they, they get behind the tournament and the teams in, in, in a real significant way. And I, I think that as well makes it special. And, and not and, and, and as importantly as anything, for the players and the, and the teams that come to participate. In conversation with Craig Butner, TSN Director of Scouting, and uh, was on the broadcast last night. We'll be on the broadcast again tonight here on TSN 1050. And But as for last night, it was kind of the first time in the tournament for Canada that it, it wasn't the Bedard show. You had Thomas Millich, who played out of his mind uh, last night, 43 save performance. Josh Waugh, four-point performance. Those who really led the way for Team Canada in the win against the U.S. I mean, how important was it for them to... To, to get a performance out of those guys, considering you know the Americans did a decent job keeping Bedard at bay. Well, yeah, well, they did, and it, what I would say to this is, and Joshua Law had four points, and you know it, it's not tennis, it's not singles match tennis where it's one up to one person. But without Thomas Millich's performance, Joshua Law could have had four points, and Canada would have lost ten five. Yeah, he was lights out, great, and. It wasn't just the number of shots, the quality of shots that he faced by quality goal scorers, quality shooters. I mean, Jimmy Stargerud is a, is a phenomenal goal scorer. And, I mean, he, I mean, we're talking about great looks, great chance, and time and time again he shut him down. You know, to, to, to me there was only three times in the entire game where Thomas Miller was in trouble. I thought it was a great play by Jackson Blake to spin around. The goal ended up being disallowed. He got in trouble there. He got in trouble with the with the puck coming off the backboards, and he had to dive back in front of the net. And then late in the game, when there was no doubt about who was going to win the game, the puck from center ice when he reached up with his glove and it fell on top of the net. Those were the only three times that he was in trouble because if that number increased, Canada would be playing for a bronze medal today. Craig, I, I'm surprised we've made it four questions in without asking you about Connor Bedard. Um, he's he's going to be you know the player that I think a lot of Canadians who might be watching this team for the first time tonight are going to have their eyes on. Um, 
and, and obviously the conversation over the last few days, at least in the greater public, has turned to, you know, how are NHL teams going to handle Connor Bedard? Because they look at what he's done throughout this tournament. It's historic, you know, when we're talking about teams tanking and, and teams trying to get him in the draft. I'm genuinely curious from your perspective, Craig. We watch what, what Connor has done throughout this tournament. It's historic. But I think we also know that, you know, teams... The, the, it's risky to kind of assess a player and, and go in too heavily on a player on what he's done in just one tournament. Where are you at with that? Because, you know, should we be judging Connor Bedard on this tournament because it's historic? Or should we be saying, look, let, let's wait and see what he does throughout a whole season in the dub, right? Well, I will tell you this, Josh. From the time he entered the Western Hockey League at 15 years of age, all he has done is dominated. He, he hasn't held his own. He hasn't excelled. He's dominated. So he goes in at 15, he dominates the Western Hockey League, he goes to the U18 in Dallas in April 2021, he dominates, he comes back to the Western League, he dominates, he goes to the World Junior, a brief appearance last year before it was cancelled, postponed, dominates, comes back to the Western Hockey League, dominates, World Junior dominates, dominates the uh, Western Hockey League, and now dominates the World Junior. That's three years of dominance. You know what? He, like, the expectations are high for Conor Bedard, and all he does is exceed them. And they're already exceptionally high. All I know is this. This isn't about one tournament. This is about uh, a brilliant young player that is now just continuing on that brilliance on, on the biggest junior stage you're ever going to be on. And so to me, this isn't about historic what he's doing here. This is about the brilliance of Conor Bedard and how unique he is. And what I would tell all the listeners out there, on the pregame tonight, we're going to have a little conversation about Connor Bedard and where he stands with some other players that were pretty significant at a similar age. Ooh, I definitely like that. There's, a tea. Into that. There's a tease. I like that. That's a tease and a half. Tune in 6 p.m. sharp on the broadcast right here on TSN 1050. But just talking about Bedard, I mean, the growth not only from year over year, but from last time we saw him in the summer. I mean, I'm just looking at the World Juniors in the summer tournament. Eight points in seven games. That's not too bad for, you know, a kid that was 16, 17 years old. But just a few months later, the way that he's elevated and he has progressed and the growth we've seen in his game since then, from eight points in seven games to now 23 in just six games and could potentially add to that tonight. I mean, how impressed are you with just how rapidly this kid has grown over the course of the last few months? Well, you know, a couple things I think we need to keep in mind about the August tournament that's different than this tournament. So Connor finished his Western Hockey League season last year, and then he went and played at the U18. And when he finished, in the, when, they, when Canada lost in the quarterfinals uh, to uh, Finland, Connor Bedard didn't play hockey again until the World Junior Tournament. That's a long time. You know, that's May, June, July. That's three months. So, you know, and, and that, that impacted lots of players. That impacted a lot of different players in terms of it. But what I think it did for Connor, and, and it did for other players, but we'll stay on Connor, is it, is it allowed him to, to really, you know, get his off-ice training in order. And then part of off-ice training and, and is maintenance and getting rested and allowing your body to grow. Your, your body develops and grows as much in rest as it does in working out. And, and I think him just stepping away from playing and just being able to focus him in those areas really helped, like really helped him, you know, come through there. But now you're, you're in a state of preparedness. You're, you're in a better physical state. And as your body's maturing, now you go to the World Junior. 
But now there was no gap. Now he's getting ready for the regular season, and he's coming into the season playing. And he comes into this tournament with a, with a real swath of, of significant uh, success because of all that playing time. And I think it's all those things that have built up for him to arrive at this moment in time and dominate like he has. You know, like I've seen this tournament, it's hard for 19-year-old players to dominate this tournament. And, and it's been rare that we've seen that happen. But it's, it, it, it's hard for 19-year-olds. It's unprecedented for 17-year-olds. I shouldn't say unprecedented. It's a rare, rare occurrence for 17-year-olds to come in. Yermer Yager had a great tournament in 1990. He wasn't the best player in the tournament. Robert Reichel was, his, his linemate. The last player that dominated this tournament at this age was Wayne Gretzky. That's a long time ago. And I think that that puts Connor Bedard in even rarefied air. But just the, that's the rationale I have and the explanation I have of why Connor Bedard, you know, in a, in, in a span of less than six months, has, has taken his game up, up, up a level. And it goes back to the three months of being off the ice and training and everything that goes with you know, allowing your body and, and, and the maturation process to take place. So, Craig, let's talk about the final tonight. Canada bookends the tournament with games against Czechia. Um, what went wrong in that first game, and, and how does Canada kind of rectify things and, and, and win another goal tonight? I thought in the first game, Josh, that Canada was pedestrian. I didn't think they had a lot of initiative in and around the net. I thought they were slow. I thought that they were predictable and, and pedestrian. Now that happens, and you know you you learn from that. You you, you know you, you learn sometimes better through failure than through success. And I think that Dennis Williams and the coaching staff have done a really nice job of getting the getting the team repurposed. And, you know, with that, it means, you know, switching some lines, adjusting some different uh, aspects of, of, of their team play. And I, I think that that's paid dividends. So w- when I watch how Team Canada has, has progressed through the tournament, I think that they, they, got their, they got their most significant test versus the U.S. in the semifinal. I don't think Czechia is capable of testing Canada like that. I think Czechia is going to have to hope for two things. Maybe three. They're going to have to hope for Canada to have a real off night like they did in that game one. I, 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 I don't think that's realistic. Number two, I think they're going to have to really try to, you know, like keep the, keep the game really slow paced. I don't think they have the speed or the skill to put Canada in the spot that the U.S. did in the semifinal. And, 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 of course, what goes with that is if you're going to try to play a low-scoring, tight game, and much like they did against Sweden in their semifinal win, they're going to need Thomas Suhanek to, to, to really uh, play exceptionally well. And uh, I, I don't think that Canada is vulnerable against a team that isn't going to push them. I thought they were vulnerable against the U.S. We talked about Thomas Milch, how brilliant he is. Now, I've seen this tournament for years, and I've seen great goaltenders come in in one game, despite the efforts of maybe a better team on the other side, giving you everything they got, they find a way to win. I think that that's, that's the recipe for Czechia. I'll stand by what I said at the beginning of the tournament. Canada's a favorite for gold. Now, I don't believe you're a, a, a betting man, Craig. I could be wrong. But what type of odds would I have to give you for you to bet on a Michigan attempt to be made tonight? Because that was the 
big talk of the tournament the day after the Czechia game, and we haven't seen one since. And I'm curious how, like, what the odds would have to be for you to lay down some change on that. It's <laughs> a good question, A.B. It's a good question because uh, what, what I would say, see, I think, I think the Michigan moves, the Mike Lake moves or the cross move, whatever you want to call it, right? Like players are trying to score. And when, and when you have gifted players that are trying to score, then use whatever means possible to try to score. So I don't, I don't look at it as a Michigan move. I try to think about, okay, how, how will Czechia defend around their net? I think defenders are a lot more aware of the Michigan move. And I think if you're going to be, a, if, if Czechia plays the way I think they're going to play, then it's going to be really tight. And I don't think they're going to give up uh, chances in and around the net where, where the Michigan play will present itself. So I would have to say, you'd have to give me really, really advantageous odds. And you are a better. And I don't bet, but that doesn't mean I'm not aware of what I need to do to place a bet. <laughs> so, yeah, I, and they'd have to be high, probably. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I would say to AB. <laughs> yeah, I think they'd have to be high to place that one. But wouldn't it be cool if, like, the game winner ended up, like, it goes to overtime and Bedard hits a Michigan for the game winner? That place would explode. That place, the internet would oh explode. Oh, my <laughs> God, it would be unbelievable. This entire country would erupt on a goal like that. Uh, but that's that's stuff we see it, in movies. So like, okay, yeah, but, but but stop and think about that for a second. Like the time will come. Like you know, when Patrick Mahomes came into the NFL and started doing the things he did, yeah, we, we were we were in awe. We started going, oh, "Can you believe what he's doing?" But Michael Jordan did the things that he did. We we were in awe, and Usain Bolt as a, as a sprinter, we were in awe. So it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when it happens, and I would suggest it. it I mean, we've seen it happen a lot. It's going to happen in a big game. It's going to happen yep. in a big, big moment. And you know what? Because the players try it, and the players are capable of pulling it off. And like I said, I, I see it as, a, as an attempt to score. I see it as a creative way to try to find a way to score. And if the game is about finding ways to score and, and being successful, it's just another aspect and another tool to use to, to give you that advantage. And Hey, wouldn't it be the, how about overtime with the Michigan? That's what I mean. Overtime game winning goal. <laughs> and it, 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 Connor Bedard at that. That would just, that's legitimately Hollywood movie type uh, stuff right there. We'll see. We'll see if it happens. I, I, I don't think I'd place money on it personally, but uh, you never know. You never know. Actually, really quickly before, uh, before we let you go, um, the Kraken are going to have to have a decision. They're in Toronto tonight, actually, taking on the Maple Leafs. They'll have a decision on their hands about what to do with Shane Wright uh, tomorrow. Has he done anything at this tournament to maybe suggest that Seattle should give him another shot at the NHL, or do you think he's best off um, and probably going to be on his way back to Kingston after tonight? Yeah, what I would say to you, I mean, th- I mean, this is just my own personal feeling. I, 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 I think Shane... You know, coming into the NHL, you know, he, he just had his challenges early on. He went down to the American Hockey League. I saw his first two games. They, they happened to be playing in Calgary versus the Wranglers. He scored three goals in those two games, and, and he looked way more comfortable. And then he came back to, to uh, Seattle. I saw him score his first, game, first goal in the NHL because I was doing the Montreal Canadiens broadcast. So, you know, and, and, and I think that there was real progression in his game. 
Gordon Miller, when we were doing a pre-turning game uh, prior to this tournament, said it looks like he's having fun playing the game again. And, and I think that that is, that, that, that is evident. I think he's been a real good, solid, strong player for Team Canada in this tournament. And I think that, you know, the Seattle Kraken are in a different place. They're trying to push up the standings. And I think, for me, the best thing, what I would, what, what I would do is have, would have Shane Wright go back to junior hockey. And then if Kingston wants to trade him prior to the OHL trade deadline or, or whatever trans, transpires from there, but keep building on, 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 on what he's done. To this. I think if he goes back to the NHL with a team that's trying to push ahead in the standings, I, I don't think he'll find that footing like he did. And I think it'll be harder for him to sustain I want players to have success. I want to see players continue to perform to their abilities and develop those abilities. And not playing a lot in the NHL doesn't help that along. So I'd have them back in June. Uh, appreciate the time, as always, Craig. Uh, have fun and good luck on the call tonight. If you get to call a Michigan in overtime, I, I, it's, it's just going to be – it'll be played on the show tomorrow for probably every five minutes. We'll have to, to listen to the replay of that call. To be quite honest with you, but uh, enjoy you know, the game tonight. You know what I got to do? I know what I got to do. So just just indulge me for a second. Andy. All right. You know what I got to do? I, I got to get with my good friend Lester McLean, who who Ooh. you know, uh, James Duffy. He 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 wants credit for a lot of the creative parts of some of the songs "Puck Over Glass," and James deserves a lot of credit. <laughs> but it's the it's the musical genius of Lester that pulls it all together. So you know what I what I got to do is I got to get Lester to kind of write a song about the lacrosse goal with the Michigan fight song, like oh. "Hail to the Victors," something like that. And Victor, <laughs> and, and I can tell you what, like Lester can do it. So you know what? I'm keeping Duffy right out of this 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 creative process because all because then like. He might have just have a little, but he'll take all the credit. So I'm keeping them all. Lester and I are going to do this. That's right. He calls them Duffy Originals, and we all know who uh, the real <laughs> brains behind the operation is. And you're a you're a stand-up guy. You'll give credit where credit is due, Craig. All right. Enjoy the call tonight, Thanks. pal. We'll chat yeah, again I next will. week. Thanks. Nice right. chat with you, Josh. Thank you. There he goes, Craig Button, TSN Director of Scouting.